Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. Hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to another week of the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today we have Rochelle E. Goodrich. So Rochelle, would you like to say hi to our listeners? Hi, everybody. Great. We're so glad you're here. And so we're going to do a little bit of introduction. So Rochelle, tell us a little bit about yourself starting out with what state in the Northwest that you're living in. Okay. I live in Washington State. Um, I pretty much grew up here in Washington State. Um, I live on the eastern side where it's the desert, nice and warm all the time. And the snow and, is <laughs> <laughs> no, We haven't had very much snow this winter at all, and I'm, I'm not complaining. <laughs> well, I'm so, I, I have to tell you, it's nice to have a uh, uh, Washington native on the podcast. I've been doing this now for a year and I'm finding that we have a lot of transplants from everywhere else. So it's nice to have a fellow native <laughs> podcast in the original Pacific Northwester. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. So I love, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I love your podcast and I oh. think it is so neat that you, you, we're brave enough <laughs> to start something like this. I've often thought about starting one, but time and I oh, know. <laughs> yeah you know what I totally appreciate you saying that because um I didn't know what I was getting myself into I'll, I'll be the first to say that and had no idea the time commitment or any of that um I love it and I've enjoyed every bit of it but there have been moments when I've sat back and thought what did I get myself into this is crazy <laughs> but I, I think, think it's great Oh, good. Well, listen, I, I'll make you a promise and anybody else that's listening, if you're interested in doing this endeavor of a podcast, let me know. I'll give you some tips. And I'm even, this is what's funny that you mentioned that. So I'm planning out my blog for this next year, and I'm going to be putting some tips up there for authors who are interested in doing a podcast. Um, that's going to be one of the series that I'm going to do. So this next year, um, and it is about co- thinking about what's entailed in it because <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> so well, that'll be very helpful oh good I'll well, probably take a good look at it <laughs> oh good well I'm glad well thanks for for being a listener as well that that's exciting so uh Rochelle tell us a little bit about too do you have a current day job or are you one of the lucky ones that's retired and writing happily <laughs> into the sunset <laughs> Um, no, I do have a day job and yeah. I work as an office manager and I've done that for probably 16 years. Um, I have three boys, two of them are already graduated from high school. I have one left who has another year to go. And, um, I write in my free time, which isn't, isn't, isn't a lot. <laughs> yeah. but I take advantage of every minute I, I get. So good for you. I'm, I've learned you can accomplish a lot in just a few minutes of time. And a lot of my poetry and my books have been put together just in five or 10 minutes here and there or late at night when I had some quiet time to myself. Yeah. You know, that's the one big trick that goes with anything creative, I think. And it's something I had to learn is you have to use every ounce of time because I work full time as well. And And people don't realize how much work writing is, you know, and, and how much you have to really fight for that time to write. Um, and I work with students all the time. I work with students in my day job and I also am starting online work for myself where I'm teaching students how to do research. And the number one complaint with authors is I don't have time to research. And I'm like, well, that's true. But I always tell everybody, just chunk it out little bits of time. Any little bit's going to help with your writing or research. Just make little teeny steps and make progress. <laughs> and that That is so true. And oh, it's hard to, to really tell people that, you know, just two minutes here or two minutes there, if you just write out a sentence or you research something, Google it, it adds up and you will be surprised by how much you accomplish in just those little bits of time if you take advantage of them. Yeah, so we're going to dive a little bit more into your writing process um, because listeners, you know that I'm changing things up a little bit and the authors, some of the authors that have listened to the podcast don't know some of the questions, so it makes it kind of fun for me. (laughs) Um, So here's 
Here's one that you might not um, have been heard if you've listened to the podcast faithfully because it's a new one. Um, so you get to be a part of the new part of this. Um, so we're often told as writers to be reading, reading outside your genre, reading books. You know, it helps you to be a great author. So I thought it would be interesting to ask my authors what you're currently reading, if anything, because I know time's limited. But what, <laughs> what title are you currently reading right now? Well, honestly, <laughs> I've been working on editing my own book, so I'm mostly reading that. Well, that's but good. The last book, yeah. <laughs> the last book I read was one written by my, my dad, actually, wrote a book about his experience in Vietnam. He served in the Vietnam War, a tour over there. And I just got through reading that just a little bit ago and told him, hey, you need to share this. With the world, this is incredible. I didn't know. I really didn't know some of the things that he went through. Interesting. So, and is, so, did he print it? I got him that? to agree to to publish it. So, for you, yeah, I, that was some of the neatest reading I read because he's my dad, and because I guess I didn't quite understand. I don't think I think we know that soldiers go through a lot to defend. Our, our rights and our freedom. But when you go in and you read the autobiography and you read the, the details of things that they went through, it's even more powerful, this, this um, knowing what they've gone through to, mm-hmm. so that you could have the freedoms that you have. And I got to know my dad a lot better doing that. And that was a neat, I mean, his, his book was a neat book. And I'm just so tickled that he decided to go ahead and publish it for people to be able to read well ask him if he would be willing to let you share it to with me and I will put it on the show notes so that when people come to listen to your podcast they can link to it and find it and they can read it along with your work which would be kind of fun Uh, yeah that would be fun I I will ask him (laughs) okay if he gives me permission listeners we'll put it up for you guys to take a look at it too and if we can wrangle him into a podcast interview that would even be fun as well (laughs) yeah so that's that's exciting I love that I I I have been connected with a lot of authors one particular in my area and she she did a huge body of work um around the World War II veterans who were, many of them were passing. And so she was able to put three stories. Um, But I think our next group of, you know, veterans are are, um, the ones like your dad from Vietnam. And they have such empowering stories that we need to get out there. So very good. I'm glad you you talked them into it. Yes. But I guess as far as most of the books that I read, I like the classics. Mm -hmm. I, I, my favorite book of all time is Les Miserables and, and I like Charles Dickens and I like all the classics. And I, when I have time to read, I probably steered more towards the classics. Yeah, me too. I'm a big, big, um, English literature classic fan. And I go back to the same books over and over again. (laughs) I'm just like, I love them. (laughs) So, okay. Here's another question that kind of gets us started and warmed up to know a little bit about you as well. Um, when did you first realize that you were an author? Was it young in life? Was it later on? Kind of give us that story. Okay. Um, honestly, (laughs) I, I was not, when I was younger, I was not into English or writing. I had no desire to do that. That was my least favorite class. Oh, and I was math and science. It was all math and science because math and science, number one, it made sense. And number two, there was always a correct answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with English, I had, I, I did well. I won't say I did poorly. I did well in class, but I never knew what the teacher was going to say or how to react. I wanted like, tell me what you want yeah. <laughs> so I can give you what you want and I can get a good grade. But it wasn't until I was, um, I think I was like 38 years old when I was um, sitting and thinking that I hadn't really, you know how you, you get older and you have kids and then you get into work and helping everybody else and doing all the chores and you sort of put aside all those dreams that you were going to do. And, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I realized I hadn't done anything in such a long time that I could really boast about and say, and 
I had this idea just pop in my head that said, do you realize that if you had written a sentence a day for the last 20 years, you would have have a book by now. And, and, and that just, that idea popped in my head and I thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a book. And all I wanted was just to write one book, just to accomplish something that I thought was really a neat, big, huge accomplishment. Mm -hmm. But in the process of writing this one book, I just fell in love with this whole, um, just being able to use your imagination and tell a story and put it on paper and other people can read it. And I, I just loved the whole process and it was fun and it was something that didn't cost money to do. You can yeah. write yeah. anytime you want, you know, anytime you have time. And so from there, I continued to write. I love it. That is such a great yeah. story in the sense that it wasn't something that you were drawn to younger, but you discovered how fabulously creative it is. <laughs> Later <Yeah>. on. <laughs> I did. And, you know, of course, yours, if I could go back in time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't we all wish we could. <laughs> I would take a few more classes in, yeah. in literature. But Yeah, I took all the, the literature classes on the side note. So um, I suffered from dyslexia, but didn't know that's what I was suffering from as a, as a younger child. And so reading came very, very much of a challenge to me. Writing was even more so. Um, but I did get the bug, you know, with one or two literature classes in high school, but I got a bug early on in, um, newspaper work, working with the school newspaper and wasn't the best. I was an editor for like management editing the paper, but not necessarily the best editor for other people's work. Um, but I loved the process of writing and creativity and the time I really loved controversy. So I thought that was very fun. <laughs> now I show oh. it as much as possible. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that's where I got the bug, but I still, it still, it takes me a lot to convince myself that I'm a writer and because of, you know, struggling when you're younger, you feel like, um, you have to overcome that. And so it takes a lot of people to, you know, pat me on the back and say, yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> so, so I love it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think we all as writers have those times when we look at our work and think, oh, this is just awful. And, you know, and then other times when we look at our work and we read through it and we think, wow, I wrote that. That is yeah. so awesome. I know. And it's, I mean, I do it all the time. Sometimes I I love that I have writing that's old that I haven't looked at in a while. And I go back and I read it. And sometimes it's like, wow, did I really write that? That is so good. <laughs> yeah. I love moments like that when you discover something old. Or uh, my husband laughs at me because I'll write a lot when he's at home. And sometimes I'll put my, my headphones on when I'm working on the podcast or something while he's watching TV and I'll be at the table. And if I write a really great line, I'll like, move my arms up and I'm really excited, you know, like, yes, that was great. And he just sees me in the background. He's like, it's the funniest thing to watch you because you just get so excited. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if you were in my head, you would have so much more fun. <laughs> He's always doing stuff like that. Because the process, the creative process is so energizing. Um, you know, when you, when you get your character to a place where they need to go or you finish a really great scene that, that you didn't know how it was going to turn out until you, wrote the last sentence <laughs> you're like oh wow it worked out <laughs> I love it yeah. so we're talking a little bit about the writing process and you mentioned a little bit too you know with your busy schedule you know you have to take bits and pieces and you know find the time to write um so you know kind of walk us through a tip or two for authors that may or people that are sitting here listening going I have a lot of stories I just don't know how to get started or how do you do the writing process that kind of thing what are some tips okay. you can share with them? Well, I, I can tell you what I do. Um, I am, I, I'm a planner. I, but I have, I know some people, some authors say you just start writing the book and you see where it takes you. I, I can't, that scares me. I, I can't do that. <laughs> Although I have tried to do that and I do have one, Story. It's called The Terrorist Curse, and it's actually online. And it's a Halloween um, werewolf, vampires, witches, that kind of thing tale. And I and I really was only supposed to be a short story for my friend who is, is actually the queen of Halloween. She loves Halloween, so mm -hmm. I wrote her this short story for Halloween, and she read it. 
And she said, well, what happens next? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? What happens next? That, that's it. And she goes, well, I want to know what happens next. And long story short, it, it became a Halloween tradition that every Halloween, or at least a, a few days before Halloween, I post another um, installment of the Tarish Curse. And so this story is the only one that I am doing without knowing how it ends. <laughs> so it. it's hard. It is so hard not to know what comes next and, and where are they going and what's going to happen and how am I going to um, wrap it up? And so that has been a challenge for me. And I know a lot of people like to write that way, but me, I plan. I know I write, I actually, I like to write the ending chapter first, which mm-hmm. might be unusual, mm-hmm. but I like to write the last chapter because I have a thing about books. When I read books and I go through this huge book and it's so wonderful. And then I get to the end and I hate the ending. It just, Oh, it's so frustrating. Cause and, I, and then, then I make my own ending. Reading it, right? And you're like the ending. Just yes. <laughs> and I've, I've read a few books that are marvelous and the authors are so good with words, but then I get to the end and I don't like the ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I plan out the book ahead of time. I, I do a lot of daydreaming, <laughs> which that, I, that way I kind of go through and I know who the characters are and I know what they're like and I know where the story's going and I know most of the things that are going to happen. And I won't say that it doesn't change when I start mm-hmm. writing, mm-hmm. but I have the ending written and I know where it's headed and I know the end mm-hmm. and I know I like it. If I don't like it, I don't even want to write it. So that's why I guess when people say just write and see where it takes you, it's like, well, what if it takes me someplace I don't like? <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see how the Terrace Curse ends. Hopefully, somehow I'll come up with a great ending. But that yeah. one, every Halloween, I get really stressed out. <laughs> oh, don't get stressed! I'm so super excited because now I need to go catch up and read them because you may have a competition for your friend on the biggest Halloween queen around. I I've dubbed myself my neighborhood Halloween queen. Oh, um, my, my okay. Neighbor, I was a mermaid this year, so for those of you that didn't see it on Facebook, I was a legit mermaid. Makeup, tail, um, a seashell outside, big blow up seashell, and lights and everything, and fog machine um, got in the newspaper over it. I mean, I just had, it was phenomenal. And every year we do a gigantic like stage version of something. <laughs> I've been going to the that awesome. <laughs> we, have, we have quite a few kids. I think over uh, close to 900 this year, we counted coming to our area. It's a, it's the area that everybody comes to in our neighborhood. In our city. Oh, that is amazing. And it's, so wow. it's, a, it's a blast. Yeah. It's a total blast. So, and I, Everybody knows the month of October is Vicky's month. You know, she's probably not going to be the whole month. Get ready for Halloween. And so I'm going to have to read your stories because that, that'll be yeah. fun. <laughs> You'll have to tell me what you think. I have been, I think I, it's either seven or eight years now. Oh, it started yeah. back in 2012. So I guess that's seven years. So this year will be my eighth year. And, and it's getting to the point where it's, it's a good sized book, so I need to come up with an ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's gonna have, you have to start the second one, so so good. Yes. Well, talking about your books, why don't you share with the listeners um, your titles? And I know you you kind of work amongst different genres, and so go ahead and like share what you write besides titles, because and what genres you go across. Okay. Um, well, the first book that I wrote was called, it, it was going to be a standalone book, but it ended up being coming a saga. And it's the Herabesian saga is what I call it. And it's about Ina. Um, she's the queen of Herabes. And it's it's all young adult fantasy, romance, adventure, um, a little bit of science. And, and it's just imaginative and creative and, and, and fun. And that book, well, that, that's, Saga. It started out actually as a trilogy, but I, li- I like big books. That's mm-hmm. one of my <laughs> problems. <laughs> so um, by the time I got done, it was three very big books. And I actually had a publisher that was interested in it. And the first thing she said was, you need to cut these in half. Oh. They're too big. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and that was hard. That was really hard. I, I was uh, but once I did it, I was so glad that I did 
And it was actually easy to, but when I went through and I looked at them, I, there was definitely a, a portion where you could, you could cut them in half. So now it's like a six book trilogy. And the last book I am editing right now, and it comes out probably in March. Um, and then I'll be done with that because <laughs> that's been a long process trying oh, yes. to get out. But then I, I also wanted to try something different um, instead of the fantasy something that was a little more real, realistic, and um, maybe more controversial. And so I wrote Dandelion, The Disappearance of Annabelle Fancher. And that one, it does have elements of fantasy in it. Mm-hmm. But that one kind of, the reason that I chose to write that was because um, I've had, throughout my life, I've had a lot of people that, I don't, I don't know, I'm one of those people that people confide in and they've told me things that have happened in their when they were young and and you know abusive things and and not not fun things and I've always been just shocked at the things that people survive and you would never know it things that they've gone through and you just to look at them or talk to them you would never know and so I wrote this book and it touches on child abuse and neglect and I used without putting anyone's name in it, of course, but the one, the main character, Annabelle, um, she goes through a lot of the same things that my friends and other people have told me that they survived. And um, that was a hard, hard book to write because it was very emotional and you had to put yourself in a situation. You were thinking, well, how would I react or what would I do or what would happen? And, and, and that was hard. But I think it's my favorite book, really. You fall in love with this little girl, and the way that she handles life is so um, sweet and so mature for her age. And so I wrote that. Um, I actually, after I had written that, she meets a librarian in the book who kind of encourages her to read and to write, and she writes a little um, fairy tale book. And so I decided it would be fun to write that book too, just to have it to go along. And so Secrets of a Noble Keykeeper, that book is a, a fairy tale. And that's the book that Annabelle pretty much wrote. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, I, I love that idea. I think that's really great. Of course, I love the fact that she was introduced to a librarian and inspired her because a lot I yes. So that's fantastic. (laughs) So, but no, I think that's really great because I do believe that writing can be a healing tool for those that have suffered and and are survivors. Yeah. And so I think that you bring that out. That's really great. So I love it. Very, very cool. So is that all that you've written? And and then let's dive off because I know there's a little poetry as well, don't you? I do. I write poetry as well, which I love poetry. Um, and I, when, when my kids were graduating from high school, I, I had this idea as a gift to, to give them a, a book. I, so I asked my oldest, I said, would you rather that I write you a book that's like a story or would you rather I wrote you a book that has like original poetry and quotes um, like for every day of the year? And he actually chose the, the book of poetry and quotes. And so I put together, um, the, I have three of them out, um, but two of them are for my sons. The one is making wishes and it really is just 365 inspirational quotes and poetry and short stories. So every day of the year you can read something. And that was for my oldest son. And then my um, second son, he graduated and he chose the same thing. And so slaying dragons because he was always into dragons and he would paint dragons and so that book was for him and that's kind of how that came around what an absolutely beautiful gift I love it I I kind of wish I had that idea too that's so great (laughs) not that my girls would have ever probably read the poetry but I did write some poetry (laughs) my husband when we were early dating and tucked it away and I gave it to him in a book format and now I gotta go dig it up and see what it what it sounded like because who knows what it was <laughs> we just tucked it away after I ate him but yeah so what a beautiful gift very good so Rochelle tell us a little bit about the journey because you mentioned that you know you had talked to a publisher so are you traditionally published yes. you are traditionally 
Um, no, no, no. It is a journey, isn't it? We just did, I just did a big workshop um, with three indie authors in our local library last night. And it is such a journey. We're sharing that journey with others to inspire them. And um, so I would love to hear what you went through. Well, I have to say, I, I have to thank all of the people that have been in my life that have helped me do this because so many times it's easy to get discouraged and to want to just set it aside and say, I don't know, is this worth all the trouble? <laughs> but to me it is because I love, I love stories and I love my stories and I love writing and I love imagination and I love poetry. And so if nothing else, I, I'm just happy when I can do this and when I complete a book. But I, I did originally in the beginning, I did have a publisher interested. They did back out. And I think it's probably because my books are big or bigger than I need to learn to write just little short, small books <laughs> and stick them out there. But I love to get to know the characters and to just um, have a lot of adventure and things that are happening. So I, I, went online and one of the coolest things nowadays is you can go online and join all these groups with authors and get to know people all around the world. And they helped me to discover how to self-publish. And they're the ones that kind of, you know, as I talked to them, told me what they were doing. And so I ended up going through a self-publishing place that did it for you. And so to start with, they did it for me and they did my eBooks and they did my paperback books. But then um, when they stopped doing it, I was geared towards um, Amazon. Their um, Amazon Katie, is it KDP? Yeah, it is KDP. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, I learned how to do it for myself. And it's really, once you learn it, once you learn anything, it's not so intimidating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I put my paperbacks and my eBooks up there and um, there's all sorts of other places, too, online that you can self-publish. And it's really not that hard once you learn how to do it. It's pretty easy. Once you do one, then you can do all the rest. And so I sell my books online at different places. I used to sell them, too, at the bookstores here in town, but they closed down, both of my wonderful bookstores. Well, that's sad. <laughs> I know, it's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I did my book signing, too, and yeah. they're all gone. So, Light of the small but, independent bookstore, it's a real thing out there, people, so buy your books from them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, no, so now I, I publish online. I, I go through, I mean, I don't know if you know, there's Lulu and Smashwords and Ingram Spark and Yep. Um, Amazon and you can yep. put them up everywhere. So the more you people see it, the more apt they are to to get interested in your books. So listeners, I know about those, and so what I'll make sure we do is that I'll try to remember to list all those that you just mentioned, Rochelle, in the show notes um, because those came up several times in our discussion during workshops as we were introducing how to self-publish. All of those um, resources that you just mentioned were were met, said to uh, from the authors too. So, so listeners, don't okay. worry. we'll go to. I'll make sure I get almost all of those when I write the show notes. We'll get the links in there so you can see what she's talking about. So, um, Rochelle, you talked a little bit and touched on the fact of online support groups, and it's something we talk about on the podcast a lot. Um, no author, no good author writes alone. And so my two questions that I have for you is, one, what I was thinking about while you are talking about your journey to publication, self-publication in general, um, how did you handle the editing? Did you hire an editor? Did you have somebody go through it? So that's the first question. And the second question is, if you can remember, I'll, if not, I'll come back to it. Um, can you share with us some of those online groups that I can put in show notes as a resource for other um, authors that might be need, looking for their own online group too? Okay, sure. Um, I, 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 um, I used to start with, I used uh, a lot of friends to, as my beta readers and as my editors. And I have friends that are teachers and, and so I felt pretty confident in their ability. And then I do a lot of editing myself. I would encourage anyone who's going to go into writing to get a book on grammar and read it. 
and periodically go through and read it and kind of keep up on that because it, it makes a big difference in your writing. But I, I edit my own work. I have, like I said, beta readers that I have go through and read it and they mark all the time. They're marking stuff for me that I miss because it's really easy to, to think you see something that's not really there when you've read it a hundred times. <laughs> so, um, so no, I haven't ever paid anyone to do that. Not yet. <laughs> well, it's just something that comes up in a lot of self-publishing discussions. You know, there's there's the rule, there's a thought that you should pay somebody, but you should self-edit very heavily first, so you're not paying somebody to do work that you can do <laughs> on your own. Um, and and then there's those that don't. So I I tend to ask that question, just kind of curious. I yet haven't paid an editor, and I'm on the fence myself right now. I know that I need additional help because I know where my weaknesses lie. Um, so I'll probably end up doing that. But it's interesting because it is an investment, you know. And so that's that's a, a point I like to ask. And then I asked about a you know, your other support groups, do you have any live support groups that you meet with people face-to-face or are you solely using online groups? I just do online groups because um, just in my limited amount of time, I I can go on and I go through and I can read comments. And I've learned so much though from these people. Um, It's just amazing the things you can pick up. And so I have some Facebook author groups and then when you go on Twitter, Twitter is huge as far as authors. I follow tons of authors and um even publishers you can follow and sometimes they give you good ideas and good advice and and so um you really if you just go on and just um look, search, do a search for writers, authors, you'll you'll find all sorts of groups. So, so what, what's your overall inspiration or what keeps you going on those days when you're just like, it's just too much. Why am I doing this? You know, it's like, <laughs> I could just be a mom and work and do the dishes and do dinner. And <laughs> These are the things I think. So what keeps you, what keeps you going and inspired? Honestly, I, I get emails from people and thanking me for a quote that they read that helped encourage them or um, just asking if they can use my quote in a book or if they can use my quote on a, on something that they, on artwork. I had a guy just the other day that emailed and asked, can I use your quote in a book of photography that I'm using? And so when they, when I get emails and stuff like that, it makes me feel like, Hey, I'm, People are appreciating what I do. So I want to keep doing it. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Well, Rochelle, I'm dying to hear some of your work. And I think our listeners are too. <laughs> They're probably just on the edge of the seat. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't you um, set the stage for us and with your reading, kind of tell us whatever backstory you need to without revealing way too much. Um, you know, before you start reading, I'm going to go as I typically do go quiet and I'm going to listen and let you, uh, share with the listeners your work. And then I'll take us out at the end of the podcast. Okay. That sounds good. All right. Um, well, I actually chose to not read from one of my big books because for one thing, I, I, I don't like to spoil the story, <laughs> but I did want to give an example of, of, the work that I do. And so I, I'm putting together a book of poetry um, from the, the poems that I've written and, and new poems that I've written. And so I thought I'd read just one poem, um, which I kind of like. It's called The Room in Which Stories Live. Um, I was going to say this, this book of poetry, I, I, I've divided it into sections and it's all about pretty much emotions. So This one is in the emotional category of laughter, of fun and laughter. So it's called The Room in Which Stories Live. I found a room, both quiet and slow, a room where the walls are thick, where pixie dust is kept in jars and paper rockets soar to Mars and battles leave no lasting scars as clocks forget to tick. I guard this room, both small and bare, this room in which stories live, where Peter Pan and Alice play and Sinbad sails at dawn of day and wolves cry boy to get their way when ogres won't forgive. With you, I'll share my hiding place, 
this room under cloak and spell, we'll snuggle up inside a nook and read a venturous storybook that makes us question in a look what nonsense fairies tell. In fictive plots and fabled ends, our happy air afters dwell. That's the end of the poem. <laughs> I love it. And then, thank you. So that's just one of the poems that would be in my book. Um, then I thought I'd share a couple of short stories. Um, one is from the book Making Wishes. And it's more of a real life story or a realistic story. Um, it's called It's All in the Glasses. I looked out the window on an early morning bus, noting how low the gray cloud cover hung. The dark and heavy sky was threatening rain. I watched a tall line of trees that bordered acres of hayfield, the wind flailing branches like they were bits of straw. What a miserable day, I sighed. Surprisingly, someone responded to my bleak announcements, a man one seat back. You just need new glasses, he said. His hand reached over my shoulder, a finger and thumb pinched as if holding the thin arm of actual frames, only there was nothing in his fingers. I glanced backwards, my expression questioning his comment as well as his sanity. Go on, he urged, holding up his gift of nothingness. My eyebrows slanted, appraising him. There's nothing there, I finally pointed out. Sure there is, he insisted. These are special glasses. Go on, put them on. I played along, partly to be kind and partly to avoid a public scene with a madman. In a careful gesture, I took the invisible spectacles and I pretended to slip them over my nose. Another rearward glance found the man smiling. He pointed at the window. Now look again. My head turned the other way to take a second glimpse at the gray sky. There were raindrops clinging to the window now, tracing slow horizontal lines across the glass. Before I could say anything, the man made a soft but excited observation in my ear. See that beam of sunlight streaming through the break in the clouds? It was beautiful, like a spotlight glimmering on a distant rooftop. And look there, he said, gesturing again at the sky. See that rainbow? Or half of it, anyway. My eyes followed a translucent smear of colors to somewhere behind a neighborhood of houses. I hadn't noticed it earlier. See those pink blossoms on that little tree? I nodded as we went past. Pretty. See that hawk circling right above it? I think that's a blackbird, I said. It appeared charcoal from beak to tail. Huh. He laughed for half a second. That's one big blackbird. He gestured to an upcoming cluster of young evergreens growing tightly together on someone's property. Hey, you see the naked Christmas trees? Funny, he made me smile. Oh, look, I exclaimed, startled by my own unexpected exuberance. Puppies! I pointed at two young golden lubs on leashes. They seemed more interested in wrestling one another than being walked. I see, I see, the man grinned. He continued on, pointing out things beyond our window that were exactly opposite of the gloomy and miserable picture I had beheld earlier. It amazed me the number of wonderful things he managed to find. Before long, I was noticing pleasantries he had missed while we drove along. Realizing the gift he had given me, I thanked him. I guess it's not such a miserable day after all. He pretended to take back his glasses and smiled wide. It's all in the glasses. And that's the end of that story. Oh, that is just really great. I love it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that one. Yeah. That one was um, sort of my, my trying to write more realistic and inspirational. Um, the last one I'd like to share is um, purely fantasy. And this one comes from Slaying Dragon. Um, it's called The Hill. Behind my house, within walking distance, is a big, beautiful hill. I fell in love with it growing up as a child years ago. I would look to the hill many times a day, studying its mossy spots, its hairy golden veins, and the muddy flecks that mimicked the scattering of bulbous rocks. Because of the hill, I learned to adore the evening sunset for unusual reasons no one would ever believe. Not because the red sun dyed the hump of my hill, a dark maroon when the two appeared to touch, and not because of the way the sky mixed 
rosy and smoky clouds together as they reached down from above or up from below. It was hard to say which way they swirled. No, the reason I love the sunset enough to watch it faithfully every night, either from up on the rooftop or from a private spot in the cattail near the creek below my house, was because that beautiful hill showed me twice in a night the same marvelous sunset, first upside up and then upside down. Please don't laugh. The sun did indeed set twice in a night for me. My mother would laugh whenever I tried to convince her it was true. More than once, I persuaded her to sit and watch, directing her eyes to a small rise attached to the steeper hill next to it. When the final red tinge of sun vanished completely and the world went dark, I would look to the lesser rise, knowing a red sun would manifest itself once again on its rugged face. Look, Mama, look, you will see it. The sun will show itself again, it will. And it will set upside down, I'm not lying. But no matter how long she waited, sorry, her patience was not never long enough. Silly girl, she would say, I see nothing but stars. But it's true, Mama, the sun will show itself again if you wait. And she did wait, but it didn't show, not in all that time. It must be an illusion, she finally decided, believing that her daughter would not lie. Perhaps the moon reflects the sun onto that rise on rare nights. On every night, Mama, I corrected. Her smile was playful and doubtful at the same time. She then walked away sighing, oh, silly girl. Alone, I would wait until as faithfully as ever, the red sun appeared on that smaller rise, divided by a vertical wisp of black. Slowly, surely, it sank upside down until it disappeared. And so it was, I grew to be a young woman in love with a magical hill. For that is the logical conclusion I drew at its repeating of an upturned sunset each night for my eyes only. Mother, though she never witnessed the miracles, labeled it an illusion. I dubbed it magic. For what else could explain a single sun setting twice within a span of minutes and topsy-turvy at that? I will admit there were occasions when I stood on my head in the grass, feet propped high against the trunk of an oak tree, in order to see the second sunset properly, never with mother nearby, for she would surely gasp and say, oh, how terribly unladylike. One cloudy evening, only a few sunsets after my 17th birthday, I was nearing my quiet spot amongst the cattails by the creek when something stirred in my stomach. It felt awful. At the same time, I glimpsed a figure move within the cattails, but I had no idea if what I'd find there would prove as awful as my stomach's uneasiness seemed to anticipate. For those who doubt, I emphatically insist that it is a wise rule to listen to your stomach. It has an uncanny sense about the reality of things. On this particular occasion, I failed to heed that uncomfortable warning and continued cautiously forward to my spot within the cluster of cattails. My stomach did a somersault when a very large man stepped out into the open and faced me. He was smiling in a manner that could never, even by the most naive minds, be mistaken for friendly. I turned to run back to the house, but I was grabbed by the man who lunged at me with the speed of a cobra. He yanked my body to him. When my lungs filled with air, preparing to scream, he stifled the sound with a firm hand, smothering my face. Desperate to breathe, I tried in vain to pry his fingers away. He dragged me into the cattails before slipping his hand down off my nose, allowing me to draw in oxygen, but still barring any ability to scream. As the man growled in my ear, insensible words dripping with malice, I feared for my life. They thought they could hide you from me, that I wouldn't detect your putrid stench out here of nowhere. But I swore to them I'd hunt you down, every last one of you. So far, I've kept my word. I've diminished your numbers and robbed you of those abominable service creatures. And I never stopped searching for you, young one, in caves and deserts and every other inhospitable corner of existence. I even bribed the vagrant sailors of pirate ships thinking they might find you in transport when your superiors finally decided to call you overseas. But no, you're not quite old enough to be summoned yet, so I'll kill you I did the others. I'll end your life before it becomes my misfortune. 
When you're dead, I'll wait here for your service creatures to show their vile forms, and then I'll slay them as well. I was sucking in air through my nose while these words hit my ear, void of meaning. Nothing he said made the least amount of sense to me. Surely he had mistaken me for a hostile individual capable of causing him torment. But I was no one to fear, no one at all. His fingers clamped down over my nose once again, as if he meant to suffocate the life out of me. I fought him with all my might, knowing my struggles were futile. His strength far surpassed my own. My eyes flickered back at the hill I loved so much as if to say goodbye, at which time I caught a peculiar sight. Two suns were visible at once, one red orb hanging above the hill and a second orb aglow on the face of the lower rise. I thought perhaps that my senses were being impaired by lack of oxygen. When the ground quaked beneath my feet, it seemed as if the planet itself had chosen to come to my rescue. The tremors managed to pull the grassy footing from beneath my assailant. He tumbled over, and his hands flailed outward, releasing me. Coughing and gasping for air, I scrambled to get away from him, deterred by the shaking ground until it suddenly ceased. My eyes darted from the grass to my beloved hill, only to find that it was gone. The sun hung low in the sky over a completely flat horizon. I was about to flee for home, more concerned for self-preservation than the miraculous disappearance of an entire hill, when the man shrieked, making my eyes turn back on him. My body slowly followed suit, astounded by what registered in my sight. My would-be killer was on the ground, looking up into the face of an ominous, hovering beast, kept aloft by giant wings. The body of the creature was humped, covered in mossy spots and hairy golden veins and muddy, bulbous flecks that resembled exactly the missing hill. It dawned on me that the low rise, normally sitting adjacent to the hill, was the beast's head. I knew this without a doubt because a red eye glared from the side of its head, mimicking the sun at dusk. I gasped, realizing my beloved hill was in actuality a dragon. My topsy-turvy sunset wasn't at all a second sunset, but a dragon's bright eye which opened up each and every evening to look out at the world before vanishing under dragon eyelids. I wondered, was this beast a service creature? The was the vile man about in my ear? There would be no asking him, for he was swallowed whole by the beast in question, scarcely able to let out a final shriek. The dragon's face turned to stare at me full on, revealing two glowing red eyes. My stomach felt calm, but in my mind, I feared this was no service creature, but a monster that meant to feed on me as it had that unfortunate man. The dragon made no sudden moves, however and the dagger-like teeth I had glimpsed in its mouth were not shown to me again. The dragon lowered its head. Cautiously, I approached, moving just close enough to reach out and touch its snout. As my fingers made contact with the scaly texture of its skin, a waft of swirly gray smoke puffed from both nostrils, startling me, convincing my feet to scuttle backwards. Its immense body rotated in the air, and I watched in awe as a pair of giant wings to, took the creature back to its resting place, where once again, he appeared as a distant hill blocking out the setting sun. Thank you, I breathed as the dragon closed its eyes. I immediately ran to the house to relay the entire story to my mother, who became greatly agitated at the mention of a stranger, and then greatly perturbed at my insistence that a man-eating dragon did indeed live past the creek behind our house. The truth was ultimately labeled an outlandish illusion, and I was informed by my mother that a career in storytelling might very well suit me. That was all about a year ago today, and I shall never forget the life-changing moment I discovered that the hill I loved was in truth a dragon I loved even more. Now, as I turn 18, my stomach twists itself up into knots, I have learned to listen to it, for its predictions have yet to be wrong. I know something is coming, a change in my life and in the world itself. What sort of change? I don't know. But I am sure it involves me and my dragon. The great beast has awakened for the second time in my young life, but I have no fear. 
It intends to take me somewhere, somewhere I am needed. And when my mother sees that I and the great hill behind our house are both gone, she might come to believe in my illusions and in dragons. That's the end. Bravo, bravo. I love it. I'm hooked. I'm a dragon fan, so I'm very much hooked in the story now. <laughs> um, good, good. <laughs> well, you know, and then I forgot to mention, so listeners, I want you to hear this. Um, Rochelle, on your website, are you the, off, uh, the illustrator for your work and your covers? Yes. Yes, actually, I am. You are. That's what I thought. So I was scouring her website uh, earlier and I forgot to mention it. So listeners, you definitely want to visit Rochelle's website and see her artwork. It's delightful as well. It goes along with the stories, I believe, really, really well. So fantastic. Well, um, Rochelle, thank you so much for being here. And listeners, I hope you were um, hooked in like I was. And if you were, find her work and make sure you write a review. Reviews are our author's life's blood. (laughs) (laughs) That is the truth. And um, thank you so much for being here. I I really enjoyed listening to your work. So thank you for being here. Yes, and thank you for letting me be here. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.